Jesus has been born. The angels have sung their song. The shepherds have gone back to their sheep. And the Magi have come and presented their gifts and excuse me, made their way back to their land in the east. Excuse me. We read the story and we're filled with a sense of awe and, and a sense of joy and wonder as we see shepherds singing and, and magi presenting gifts and all uh, shepherds watching the angels and all these things going on. And and as we as we contemplate this. There is this sense of just this idyllic nature related to the story. And we love reading this story. And it would be a perfect story if Matthew had just left it there. But instead, he, he tells us this story about, about the little boys in Bethlehem. And it it feels so out of place. It's a story, it it makes a story feel messy. And and when I read this, I think, I wish that weren't there. I wish we didn't have to think about those things. I I wish that that this wasn't a part of, of what happened when Jesus is born and we celebrate this great event and all of the beautiful, lovely things that we associate with Christmas. And yet, here it is. And somehow we have to, we have to understand it if we can and, and engage it and, and try to think about why Matthew would include it in the first place. It's important for us to understand that this is, a, this is an event that is initiated by evil. This is something that the evil one has done using Herod, who quite frankly is a willing ally in the evil one's strategy to cause pain. Herod in many ways is sort of uh, the poster child of evil. You look at his his life, his reign, he does things that it's hard to imagine. The minute that he comes into power, he gathers around him the 45 of the wealthiest men in Judea, people, men who had supported the previous king, and he executes them and confiscates all of their possessions. After he's been the king for a little while, he's summoned to Rome by the emperor, and he's not exactly sure why the emperor is summoning him, but he's afraid. He's, he may well have done something to offend the emperor, and he might be sentenced to death. And before he leaves, he tells his soldiers, if I'm sentenced to death, then I want you to execute my wife too. He's not sentenced to death, but after he returns, in in a fit of rage, he has her executed anyway. And throughout the years of his reign, he he orders the murder of his 18-year-old brother-in-law, his wife's 80-year-old grandfather, his mother-in-law, and two of his own sons. No wonder the Emperor Augustus said, I would rather be 
Herod's pig than Herod's relative. And Herod is a willing ally in the, in, in the evil one's work here. And, he, what, and when the Magi come to Jerusalem... And they start asking about this new king who's been born. They don't realize that they are poking an insanely jealous bear. Who will do anything to protect his kingdom. Including murdering little children. It's difficult to fathom... It's difficult to fathom what these mothers and fathers must have been feeling and thinking. They don't understand. I mean, they know Herod is a tyrant. He's ruthless. But why? Why would Herod come and and, and murder our children? I mean, they they don't live in the world of, of kings and empires and protecting your reign. They're just trying to live their lives. They're trying to raise their children. They're just trying to get, eke out an existence. It makes no sense. And it seems to me that that is most often the way the evil one works. He isn't trying to do something that makes sense. In fact, the, the least sense it makes to us, the better. Because it leaves us questioning and and it leaves this sense of mystery and a cloud. And often we turn and blame God for it. And that's part of the evil one's plan. When things happen that we don't understand, when, when evil intersects our lives and our world, when tragedies take place... More often than not, the one, one of the first questions that comes to mind is, why God? Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen? And that plays right into what the evil one's trying to accomplish. And here are these parents trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and sadness and pain. And we understand, at least in some degree, pain. It's interesting to me that the evil one, well, the evil one hates God. And the evil one wants to do everything possible to to drive a stake through the heart of God. And I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why there is so so many atrocities against children. You walk into a room, if there are children, they're almost always going to be the most vulnerable people in the room. And there is, and children, we know from reading the scriptures, the children are precious to God's heart. And so you almost have a sense of the evil one saying, okay, fine. God, if you're going to send your son to save these people, I'm going to murder some children. And sometimes 
it's, it's just hard for us to grasp that. You know, we all know at some point that we're going to die. We understand that in our minds. And we also know that there is an, there is an order in which death comes. Older people die before younger people. Grandparents before parents, parents before children. That's the way it's supposed to be. As hard as that is, and as difficult as it is, it, and still painful, and it's still a struggle for us, but it, it makes a little more sense to us when it follows this pattern. But when that pattern is disrupted, when that pattern is shaken, we get shaken. And I suspect there are some of you here today who have lived through some of that. Some of you may have experienced the the great pain of a death of a child. And the agony of that. It's something you you never get over. It's something you, you never forget. You never really get past it. And I I think in talking with people that it seems that the pain of it seems to be heightened during the holidays. When everyone is together with family, it just accentuates that that child isn't here. And there's that empty place. Maybe for some of you, it's not that a child has died. Maybe it's that a child has never been born. And the ache in your heart and in your, in your soul and your spirit is the wanting a child desperately and not being able to have one. And living with that pain. That again, at this holiday time, when, when people are getting together with their children and not being able to do that. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of, of a childhood that was lost. Maybe it's about growing up in a home where, where you were neglected, abused, worse. And feeling as though your childhood was stolen from you, lost. And you live with the pain and the agony of that every single day. And you lament and you weep and you put up walls and barriers because of that great pain. And the holidays and people getting together with family doesn't doesn't elicit positive memories, it elicits negative memories. And if it's none of those things, maybe it's just recognizing all of the pain in our world and particularly the pain that children go through in our world in so many places. Children who, do, who live without the basic necessities of life. No food, shelter. Children that are, are orphaned and abandoned because of disease or famine or war. Children that are sold into slavery 
or worse. Children that are conscripted into an army and convinced through drugs or threats to do unmentionable things because of the greed and the hunger for power by a few men. Or maybe it's just the pain of life. But in one way or another, we all understand in some form the pain that comes from living in this fallen world, in this world in which evil imposes its will so often upon us, in a world in which evil gets a hold of people and they hurt us and they hurt others and we ache and we struggle for it and we struggle about it. As I read this story, I've asked myself, why is this story here? Why does Matthew include this story? And I think one of the reasons is to remind us that this story is real life. And our faith is about living real life. There are some religions of the world where the goal, the the ultimate goal is to escape real life. It's to, it's to escape all of the stuff that's a part of this world. And you reach the apex of the religion by, by being free from all the things that are going on in the world. That's not our faith. Our faith is about real life. Our faith is about living in a real world, facing pain and hardship and struggle because this is the world in which we live. Because God's given us free will. And the moment free will enters the picture, there is all kind of possibility for evil and injustice and pain. And we don't live in a world where we're trying to get away from what's real. We live in, a, as Christians, we are in a world trying to make a difference in a world that's real. I used to think that maybe the story was a part of the scriptures because everybody knew about it anyway. And it would look really weird for, for Matthew to, to ignore it. And everyone would say, well, he's just trying to make God look better. So let's just not tell that story. The story of the, of the birth of God coming uh, into the world and, and this associated with it makes God not look so great. Especially when you consider that Jesus escapes and all these other children don't. So everybody knows, so it, it looks worse to not talk about it, so let's put it in. And then I realized, I learned, that this, this event of the murdering of the children is not mentioned anywhere else in all of the historical documents that we can find. This is the only place. So the story is not here because you had to put it in. I think one of the reasons the story is here is so that we will understand that God doesn't forget what happens to little children. And the acts of evil and pain in our world. Scholars tell us that Bethlehem's not a real big town, and by the time the Magi get there, it's 
could be up to at least two years after Jesus' birth. And all the people who came to Bethlehem with, when Mary and Joseph did to register, they have gone back to their homes. Mary and Joseph have decided to stay here. And so when, when this edict comes down, there might be estimates are maybe 20 children that die. And in the scheme of all the heinous things that Herod does, 20 children of peasant parents in an obscure, who cares kind of place just doesn't get press. We got too many other big things to talk about to worry about this. And maybe Matthew includes it to tell us the rest of the world may forget about these little boys but God doesn't. And I can almost imagine the Holy Spirit prompting Matthew as he's beginning this gospel about the genealogy in the first chapter and the angel coming to Joseph and the Magi appearing to them and the angel and the Holy Spirit saying to Matthew, and don't forget to talk about the little boys. Don't leave them out because I want everyone to know that I have not forgotten them. And one day, I will avenge the evil on them and on their families. You get to the book of Revelation, and it tells us in chapter 16, 17, 18, about Babylon, which is the symbol of evil in the world. And God says, the day will come when Babylon will taste the wine of my fury. When Babylon will be held accountable for all of the evil they have done in this world, I will remember. I'll not forget. And the pain that you and I face, sometimes we wonder, does anybody know? God remembers. He knows the pain that we feel. See, that's, that's, that's a, what happens at Christmas. That's why Jesus comes, because he knows our pain and he enters into our pain. And sometimes we forget in our pain that God cares far more about evil than we do. We wonder about that sometimes, because it feels like God's not doing enough. God's not acting fast enough. God's not acting the way we want him to act, to stop evil in the world. And it makes us think, God must not care that much about it. We care more about evil than God does. But you read the scriptures and you see over and over and over again, God cares so much more about evil than we do. You read through the Old Testament, there are just a preponderance of laws and edicts about how the Israelites are to treat the most vulnerable people. Children, widows, orphans, aliens and strangers, people who have no rights, people who could easily be taken advantage of and often are. God says, You watch out for those people. Be good to those people. Don't take advantage of those people. Because he cares. And Jesus is born into the world to to help us understand the depth of God's passion and concern and compassion about the pain that we experience and the pain in this world. Sometimes we miss it. Because we're so wrapped up in the pain, we miss the fact that Christ is born to do something about our pain. 
ultimately, Jesus who escapes death in this encounter gives himself willingly to death for every one of us and for everyone in this story. See, these little boys aren't murdered because Jesus is born. Jesus is born because evil that would murder little boys needs to be dealt with. And this is the essence of Christmas. That's why this story being here is so important to us. And what it means to understand the coming of Christ and the faith that is ours in Christ. N.T. Wright says that that in a sense, Jesus stepped into the whirlpool of evil all by himself and, and let evil just sort of wear, wear itself out on him so that we would be free from it. And he said in, in this book about the Lord's Prayer, in the statement of where we pray, deliver us from evil, he said Jesus is the one who was not delivered from evil. And he faced it head on. And he did it not because of some edict. He did it willingly, lovingly, for the whole world. And because Jesus comes, even in the midst of our pain, there is hope. There's grace. Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31 here. In this passage, and he speaks about Rachel and her children weeping. It's a passage in Jeremiah that's spoken to people who have watched most of their family being taken into exile. Their sons, their daughters, taken away. And and they're weeping about what has happened to their families. And that's verse 15, but verse 16 of Jeremiah 31 says, But take hope, because I am bringing them back. And Isaiah 49, where he's talking about the Messiah that is to come. Isaiah says, the Lord has spoken and he declares, I will go to the nations and they will carry your sons back. And they will carry your daughters on their shoulders. And I will bring them back to you. There is always hope. And that's why Jesus comes. He comes to do something about the pain that we feel. He does comes to do something about evil in this world. He comes to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up our wounds and to set the captives free. Someone reminded me recently about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, American poet, lived during the 19th century, was was so deeply burdened by what was going on in our nation in the 1860s. We were at war, north and south, and, and so many lives lost. So much death and despair and destruction in our nation.
1863, he got a letter from his son saying that, telling him that he had joined the Union forces. And not too long after that, he received word that his son had been severely wounded in battle. During that same year, Longfellow's wife died in an accidental fire. His heart was filled with grief and despair at this pain. And on Christmas morning of that year, he all of a sudden heard the bells of the churches ringing. And he sat down and he, and he wrote down these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Hate is strong. Mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Gracious Father, whatever we are feeling today, pain about ourselves, for others, for this world, let us see your deep passion and concern. And let us see in the coming of Christ the hope that you have promised. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen.